My friends, thank you for being out here on this Wednesday night. Grab your red songbook. Let's all stand together. Brother Ken's going to come lead us tonight. Let's make a joyful noise this evening. Brother Ken. Amen. Page 162 in your red back book this, this uh, evening. Hymn number 162, Living by Faith. We'll do the first, third, and last verse tonight. One, three, and four, Living by Faith. Hymn number 162. I care not today what tomorrow may bring, if shadow or sunshine or
Absolutely. Let me bring that to everyone's attention very quickly. CT's wife, Sister Becky, no stranger to us. She's had significant issues in her back, kidney, something. They're having difficulty determining what that is, but she's in a great deal of pain. They know she's got a five-centimeter kidney stone um, and uh, other issues that she's dealing with. So pray for Becky, if you would. Thank you, Josh. Somebody else on my left tonight. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, sweetheart. Absolutely. Remember that family. Thank you, honey. Somebody else on my left. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, sister. Thank you. Others on my left tonight, an outspoken request. In the middle this evening, an outspoken. James? Absolutely. I'm actually going to speak to that today some, but I appreciate you mentioning that. Perilous, perilous times, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. Always been, but it seems to be waxing worse and worse, and I'll talk a little bit about that, but thank you for mentioning that, son. Somebody else, Brother Adams? Pray for Brother Rochester. Get on the stick about that, honey. Find out what's happened. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Brother Adams. Appreciate that. Somebody else in the middle tonight? Wanna, yes, ma'am. Miss Georgie. All right. Thank you, Brother Brother Wasoski. Praise the Lord. Wonderful. That's good news. That's great news. Absolutely. Thank I'm sorry, go ahead. Absolutely, Brother John. Pray for Brother Mark. We'd mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. We are glad to see him tonight. I uh, had some uh, difficulties with his back. I was picking with him, get up in the pulpit and uh, collapse. Boy, that's some preaching going on right there, ain't it? Amen. Uh, but pray for Mark as he continues to recuperate from his back issue. Somebody else in the middle tonight outspoken. Yes, ma'am. That's right. Absolutely. I heard all about it. I don't know if you could hear or not, but the recent election in England um, uh, there's some spiritual concerns there about what can and cannot be uh, taught in a Sunday school environment. Um, and uh, that's, that's not too unlike what's happened in Canada, quite frankly. Uh, and don't think it can't hit us as well, church. Somebody else in the middle outspoken tonight. Sister Vi? Absolutely. Thank you, sister. Appreciate that. Anyone else in the middle? Yes, sir. Brother Mark? Absolutely, Brother Mark. Thank you, buddy. Let's go over to my right tonight, an outspoken request. Anyone this evening? Miss Irma. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Miss Irma. Others outspoken. Miss Nadine. You absolutely. Sister Pam. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Not possible that that eight-year-old girl can be having a baby. Amen. Amen. That's what I told Mark's youngest daughter tonight. She told me she was 23. I said, that is not possible since I'm only 25. <laughs> Anybody else on my ride tonight? Yes, sir. Amen. Amen, brother. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, sir. All right. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Unspoken request tonight. If you've got an unspoken that you'd like to bring to our attention, thank you so much. Let's go to the throne room together, and I invite you to join me tonight. Father, it is with 
great humility that we come before your throne room of grace tonight. You've told us in Hebrews that we can come boldly, but Lord, we also recognize that we need to come humbly, realizing that we're coming before the King of Kings. And Lord, we also recognize that we're coming into the presence of the one who has all the answers before we even know we've got the questions. So Lord, we bring these petitions to you tonight, recognizing that none of them have taken you by surprise, recognizing that none of them are too difficult for you. So Lord, we're asking, Father, that you would uh, do what only God can do in these unique and special situations. Lord, I pause just a moment and pray, especially for Brother Keith Rohr right now. Lord, uh, the doctors uh, may be perplexed and surely Diane is perplexed, but we know you're not. So we pray that you would intervene miraculously you've shown plainly in your word the times uh, that you touch and you heal so we ask that you do that tonight lord for those that are facing surgery lord those that are facing spiritual needs those that are facing emotional difficulties and lord those that are mourning the loss of loved ones we bring those to your throne tonight lord i want to pause just a moment and pray for our country lord what perilous times we live in father lord it seems to be that every week there's some new tragedy that besets us and Lord, uh, it just seems to be escalating uh, in, in a magnitude that we don't even understand or imagine. But Lord, we know that it's all under your control, and we rest in the understanding that it is under your will. So we, Lord, we pray that you bless us tonight as we study and preach, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's have a song of fellowship. Brother Ken, come lead us now. Amen. Page 129, tell it to Jesus. We'll sing the first verse tonight in chorus, then we'll have a time of fellowship. Hymn number 129. Are you weary? Are you
folks, let me give you some quick announcements tonight, and then uh, we'll take up our offering, and then we'll get into our Bible study. First of all, uh, I had, I've had several folks ask me, uh, I have not included it in the bulletin, I'll take care of that on Sunday, but I've had several folks ask me that with our upcoming end of summer revival that we're doing uh, the last week in August with Brother C.T. Townsend and Kyle Rowland and Deliverance, were we still doing our civil servant Sunday, the first Sunday in August? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. On Sunday, August the 6th, we will be uh, doing our Civil Servants Sunday. Uh, this year, we will be recognizing police officers. Again, it will just be police officers throughout our community. I am intentionally singling them out this year. Uh, we, we at times add firefighters and EMS workers, but this year will be just our local law enforcement officials and their families, as we've done for the last three years. And uh, no, no, no greater time to recognize them, no bad time to recognize them, but if you followed the news today, you understand that yet once again, police officers uh, stepped up when everyone else stepped back. When everyone else took off running, police officers stood between uh, them and the line of fire. And were it not for those Capitol Police officers, today's uh, tragic shooting could have been multiple tragic deaths. So uh, it is a great time for us to honor those policemen. Uh, uh, I, I, I can't tell you the accolades that we get. Uh, every time I see uh, Sheriff Perry uh, and other police officers, they continually thank me for what we do at that annual event. So we will once again recognize them. Uh, uh, we will provide a meal for them, do several events in recognizing their honor, and then we'll also give them the gospel as well that Sunday morning. So you put that on your calendars. We will, of course, have that uh, at the end of August, our uh, end of summer revival with uh, C.T. Townsend, Heath Williams, Kyle Rowland, and Deliverance. We are surely looking forward to that. And again, uh, I had someone else ask me about the instructions for our online giving. We'll continue to put that in the bulletin. Uh, thank you for those that have taken advantage of it. Should you want to, uh, that, that will continue to be an opportunity for you to use for your tithes and offerings. And then I want to say thanks to those folks who uh, uh, answered our call to service with regards to our, our, our nursery. Uh, Sister Leanne informed me tonight that for the first time uh, since I've been pastoring, and that's now 16-plus years, uh, we will actually have enough folks that only have to work once every three months. So I appreciate you stepping up to that. That's a real blessing, and I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. All right, uh, gentlemen, make your way down tonight. Uh, let's uh, worship the Lord with his tithes and your offerings if you haven't done so. And then we're going to do some deep, deep diving tonight into the Word of God. Get your thumbs limbered up because you're going to go cascading through Scripture with me this evening. Father, bless the offering. May it be what you'd have it to be in Christ's name. Amen. Take off, fellas. service uh, as a reward for you all sitting up so nice and tall and paying attention. You come see me. I got a little something for you. Uh, we'll do that every Wednesday night during the summer months as long as you're sitting up nice and tall and paying attention. If mom and daddy have to correct you, that stands for you teenagers too. Mom and daddy have to correct you. You don't get the gift at the end of service. But as long as you sit up nice and tall, I have a little something for you at the end of every service tonight. All right. And parents, if you don't like them to have candy, you get to be the one to tell them no. All right. Several places tonight that I want to invite you to turn with me and have ready. Um, we will be looking at multiple passages tonight. Uh, you cannot do a study of prophecy uh, without doing lots of deep, deep diving into multiple passages. 
So I have some little uh, sad bookmarkers in my Bible. Uh, uh, this is redneck on steroids, the way I've got it set up. But it's easy for me. There will be several passages that we look at. But I'm going to give you four main books for those of you who are not using a digital device and, and can flip easily. If you've got your uh, Bible, go ahead and get ready, if you would, please. Uh, uh, Daniel, we'll be looking in Daniel. We'll be looking at least in 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians. Those are right there together. And then we'll also be looking at Revelation. Others as well, but those will be four books that we will really uh, spend some time in tonight. Daniel, 2 Timothy, 2 Thessalonians, which are just pages apart, and then uh, Revelation as well. Uh, I think most of you were with us on Sunday as we began what I'm calling a summer of prophecy. Uh, you were here when we saw yet again three more souls come to know the Lord Sunday morning. Uh, walk the aisle of salvation, mercy paved with grace. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, uh, and, and, and you may ask yourself, why would we do a series on prophecy? Well, prophecy is relevant. I shouldn't have to tell you that, but it's very relevant for our time period. Uh, I will also remind you, and please get a hold of this, there is not universal agreement on every element of prophecy. The Bible is a complex book, and nowhere is this more true than in the area of prophecy. So, so what I'm going to share with you tonight is certainly going to be backed up with my biblical evidence, but I also want you to understand that good people of good faith who are born-again believers may not necessarily agree with every jot and every tittle of everything that I share with you. That doesn't mean they're lost and on their way to hell. They just means they don't dot their I's and cross their T's like we do or like I do, and that's okay. Uh, last Sunday, we preached to you about the rapture of the church, and we talked about uh, uh, the events that would accompany that as described in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and Revelation 4. Tonight, what I want to spend some time looking at is the rise of the individual that we know of as the Antichrist. The individual that we recognize who will gain his prominence during what we refer to as the tribulation. Now, I will pause just a moment and say to all of the kids in here tonight, some of the events that I might be talking about this evening may become may sound a little bit scary, frankly. I can remember as a child sitting in church, listening to the pastor talk about end-time events, and quite frankly, it scared me. It is my belief, and I believe backed up with biblical evidence, that those of us that know the Lord, the church, the bride of Christ, will not face these things that I'm about to describe tonight. That is of my sincerest belief, so I don't want anybody of our kids to walk out of here thinking, good golly, uh, what's happening, but I do want everyone to understand, and this is true for everybody in the room tonight, that, that the events that describe uh, the tribulation period and the Antichrist, uh, we should not be surprised to see things unfolding as they are that characterize that age. Let me be clear about that. I am not looking for signs of the times. Please understand that on May the 14th, 1948, when the nation of Israel was created, when God's fig tree bloomed again, the last great eschatological event or the last great prophetic event happened uh, that was required uh, for this end time age to progress. So I'm not looking for the signs of the times. Why? Because I believe that when the Lord comes, he will do so as a thief in the night. You understand that a thief does not send forth warning signals. He doesn't call ahead. He doesn't tell you what time he's going to be there. He doesn't tell you what day he's coming. He wants to catch you unawares uh, so that you are unprepared. The Lord uh, will come like a thief in the night, and he won't send forth red warning flags or flares letting you know that time has come. But I do want you to understand that once the church is raptured out of here, events will begin to unfold very, very quickly. So turn with me tonight, if you would, to begin with, to 2 Timothy, 
chapter number 3. There will be three points that I will give you tonight about the rise of this person that we call the Antichrist. We get that name from 2 Peter. That's clearly described as Antichrist. And one of the things that we'll mention about this individual is his appearance. His appearance. Our text tells us, as you're going to see in just a moment, the conditions of the world, the conditions of the church, things like that. And I want you to understand that, that I am certain that no man knows who the Antichrist is. No man knows when he will appear. But the Bible does tell us that it will happen. Let me say that again. Do not listen to anybody who tries to tell you who the Antichrist is. We don't know that. Notice, if you would please, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5. I will refer to this as the condition of the world at the time of the Antichrist. This know that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And then Paul tells Timothy, from such turn away. The condition of the world, when the Antichrist makes his appearance, will be a morally bankrupt world. Say that again. The world will be morally bankrupt when the Antichrist makes his appearance. Today, I was at a meeting uh, down in Danville for the college, and most of the folks there, this was a regional meeting of multiple representatives of multiple colleges, most of them certainly know that I pastor a church, and at break time, three of the fellows that I'm friends with who know that I pastor a church, we were beginning to hear the incidences that unfolded today, both in D.C. and in California. The California shooting seemed to be masked today by the D.C. shooting. For those of you who have not heard, there was a shooting in California as well. Uh, six injured, four dead. And, and both uh, all three of these men looked at me and they said, Preacher, these are indeed perilous times. And I had to agree with that. And then one of them looked at me and said, but is it any worse than any other time? The simple uh, reality is, folks, that mankind is evil. Mankind is bad. There is nothing good in our flesh. We are evil beings. So here's my simple statement. I, 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 I think that we can certainly see an escalation of evil in front of us. We can certainly see that things have the appearance of getting worse and worse, but I also subscribe to the notion that because of our 24-7 connectivity, because of our constant social networking, we get wind of things instantly, whereas in previous generations, we may never have even heard about some of the evil that goes around. Moreover, today, I think one of the tragic marks of society is not that just evil occurs, that people seem to be proud of their evil. See, people seem to boast about their evil. And I do believe that is, if you'll accept this phrase, a sign of the time, although I don't like that phrase, but it is an indication that we are marching further and further and further away from God and closer and closer until the end of the age. So I say to you, number one, when we talk about his appearance, you note with me the condition of the world. I also want you to note with me 
the corruption of the faith. Please turn to 2 Thessalonians, back just a few pages if you would. Chapter number 3, verse number 5. 2 Thessalonians, excuse me, chapter 2, verse number 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 3. You will hear read a title or a description of this man that we call the Antichrist. Notice what Paul writes. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So in this verse, you have two titles, two characteristics, if you will, that describe this individual that we call the Antichrist. He's called that man of sin, and he's also called that son of perdition. I want you to understand that in verse number three, I believe there's a very clear characteristic that preceding his appearance, there will come a falling away of the faith. By that I simply mean this. This refers to a time when organized visible religion, organized visible churches, if you will, depart from the fundamental doctrines of the Word of God. It wasn't very long ago, folks, that if someone said that they were a Christian, you pretty much knew what that meant. Now, you may not have agreed on everything. You may not have felt the same way about certain topics. But when someone said they were a Christian, you about knew what that meant. Would you listen to me? Those days are no more. You understand that the days in which we live are marked by a rapid departure from the foundational truths of Christianity. I will take this a step further and tell you that it is expected when the world looks, acts, and lives like the world, but when the church looks, acts, and lives like the world, we are departing away from the foundational truths of Scripture. We are living, I believe, in the time period that characterizes that great falling away. Now, I will also be very blunt. Until the Lord comes and gets us out of here, and it's not going to get better. At the same time, you understand that when something negative happens, it often produces an opposite reaction. What do I mean by that? Well, as one group, large though they may be, falls away from the truths, there are typically other groups that tighten down on the truths. Can I be honest? I want to be one of the tighten down groups. I want to be in the term I like is the term remnant. I want to be one of those groups that doesn't bend or budge on the fundamental truths of Scripture even though that puts us in an unpopular minority. Amen. His appearance. It's worthy to note, I think, that at this point, what we call the tribulation is referred to in Jeremiah 30. Don't turn there. We'll look at that in a couple of weeks as the time of Jacob's trouble. I'll share with you when we get there next week why I know or I believe that that is referring to Israel and the church is not here. It is also referred to in Revelation 6 and 16 as the time of God's wrath, his appearance. Let's talk now about his abilities. And I ask you this simple question. Does the Bible provide any answers on what this man will be like? What this man will be like? I get very amused at every political season how every new political American candidate seems to be the Antichrist. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I, I, I have for at least the last 12 years, every national political candidate, some 
oh, forgive me, Father, some nut job religious group says and puts out all over social media, this person's the Antichrist. But I do want you to look at the characteristics that that Antichrist will possess. Please turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. I want you to notice with me that beyond any question, the Antichrist will be a man of popularity. A man who garners great popularity. There's lots, lots, and lots buried in Revelation chapter 6, verse number 2. And you'll notice here if you've got a reference Bible that it talks about the seals and the trumpets and We'll talk about all of those when we get into the tribulation period. But tonight, I want you to look, if you would, just at chapter number 6, verse number 2. And I saw, this is of course John, on the Isle of Patmos, who's been ushered into the presence, uh, if you will, caught up uh, and ca caught a glimpse. Let me pause a second. I get, I've been asked this multiple times. If these things are these things, in other words, if, if John saw this and it means this, why didn't he just say it was that? Please understand, folks, that I believe that John was allowed to catch a glimpse of things that would unfold at least 2,000 years in the future. He had to describe it with the language that he possessed in that day. So you want, think with me, those of you senior saints who are 60 and above. Try in your childhood to describe the technological age that we live in today. It wouldn't have been possible with the language and vernacular and vocabulary you had. Extend that to John's day and realize that what he's describing are things that will unfold thousands, at least 2,000 years later. So he says in chapter 6, verse 2, I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, that's important, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Submit to you tonight that most scholars are in agreement with me that the phrase about the crown being given to him is a direct reference about this gentleman's, and I use that term loosely, this person's tremendous world popularity. This man is certainly, this is Gregology, I'm going to make a statement here. I believe this man who, who will rise out of obscurity seemingly, one of the first things that he will do will have to come up with a viable explanation for the disappearance of the believers. And I hearken back, for those of you who are old enough to remember this, do you remember on 9-11, the days that followed, the number of dead fluctuated not just by the hundreds but by the thousands. I remember at one point there were talks of ten to 20,000 people who had died. That number fluctuated. It got down dramatically. Imagine that on steroids worldwide because you understand that when the church is caught out of here, chaos will reign supreme. I think one of the first things that will happen is he will come up with a logical explanation of what happened to the believers. I have one commentator that I love to read after who described his popularity like this. He will have the leadership skills of a George Washington. I remember, how many of you remember as a kid that those movies, The Omen? Scared the bejeebies out of me. Some of you haven't, you don't need to. Amen. Scared me. It was all about the Antichrist. But I want to submit to you that there's a lot. Don't go watch it because there's a lot of things wrong with it. But, but one of the things that astounded me is that I think we have in our mind this idea of the Antichrist being this evil incarnate creature. He won't be anything like that, church. 
This commentator describes him as the leadership of a George Washington or an Abraham Lincoln, the eloquence of a Franklin D. Roosevelt, the charm of a Teddy Roosevelt, the charismatic personality of a John F. Kennedy, the popularity of a Dwight Eisenhower, the political savvy of a Lyndon Johnson, and the intellect of a Thomas Jefferson. I'm glad he didn't include modern politicians or everybody would have gotten all toe up. The reality is, beyond any shadow of a doubt, I think this man will be someone of worldwide popularity. Please listen to the statement I'm about to make because I am in no wise or shape or means characterizing politicians as the Antichrist. But we have seen on both sides of the political aisle how someone can rise from almost total obscurity to international popularity seemingly overnight. We've seen it in Republicans. We've seen it in Democrats. How someone can be an almost virtual unknown and in this age of instant media access give a speech that launches their candidacy and suddenly they are a worldwide phenomenon. This man will be a man of popularity. Stay with me again in Revelation chapter 6, again verse 2. Bible says that saw behold a white horse he that sat on him had a bow now I'll ask you tonight what normally accompanies a bow that seems to be absent here arrows turn with me to Daniel chapter 9 stay in Revelation keep a bookmarker there we're coming back to it to a lot turn with me to Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. If you found your place, say amen. And he, Daniel writing, he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Now, for the sake of time, I've got a whole depth of formulaic expressions here that I could take you through, and I, if we have time later in the series, we'll do that. But I want to stop just a moment and say that there is not universal agreement on what I'm about to say, but I believe that what is being described here in conjunction with Revelation chapter number 6, verse 2, that not only will the Antichrist be a man of popularity, but initially he will be a man of peace as well. And I think, scholars will back me up on this, that one of the first things he will do is to establish an international peace treaty with the nation of Israel. Notice what it says in verse 27. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And you say, wait a minute, preacher, one week? I'm going to ask you to trust me on this, and I'll show you later that most scholars are in agreement that this one week, how many days in a week, church? Seven. Is actually symbolically representative of seven years. There's lots to that, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to give it to you tonight. I will later, I promise you. But I believe that one of the first things that this Antichrist does is to establish a peace treaty with the nation of Israel for seven, or a proposal for seven years. Seems that this man, in calming the nerves of the world, rising to international prominence, makes a peace treaty with the nation of Israel a pledge of seven years. And I want to stop just a moment and say very plainly and very publicly that you note when all of the world has turned its back on Israel, somebody has to make a peace treaty. And I know that may sound like it's hyperbolic. I'm not trying to exaggerate. But I want to remind you that the nation of Israel is no bigger than our state of Maryland. In terms of geography, in terms of size, 
but it seems like the world at times almost hinges on that little parcel of land. So he'll be a man of popularity, a man of peace. And beyond any shadow of a doubt, without question, the Antichrist will be a man of extraordinary power. Revelation 13, please. Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names, and this is who the, who the ones that are being referred to that will worship him, whose names are not written in the book of the life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If I'm reading this correctly, and I think I am, I believe it very plainly states that as this man rises in prominence and rises in popularity, his power will become consolidated and he won't just be a popular political figure, but seemingly almost, if not completely, worshipped as a god. Note what it says. Those whose names are not written in the Lamb's Book of Life won't just like him they won't just love him they will worship him his appearance his abilities finally tonight in our study just of the antichrist his abominations after this established peace treaty after this worldwide peace and I say again When chaos across the world reigns supreme with the disappearance of the believers, the world will be ripe for somebody to step in. Turn back to Daniel, please, chapter 7, verse 25. Daniel, chapter 7, verse 25. He shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and to think the change and to and think to change times and laws. And notice this, please get this. And they, the they there is all this stuff that's just been mentioned shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Time, times, and the dividing of time. We're going to step into some deep waters here. Most Biblical scholars recognize that what is being discussed with the word time is a year. So if time is a year, times is two years, and the dividing of time is half time, which is half a year. You've got one year, two years, and a half a year which equals three and a half years. And it is from here that there are some scholars who say that's when the tribulation, or rather that's when the church is raptured out. They are what are called the mid-trib folks, mid-tribulationists. But I want you to understand that at that moment, the Antichrist will break his covenant 
with Israel and will attack and seek for the extermination of the people of God. I'm going to show you some other verses. But I want you to understand that at that moment, this Antichrist, who has established a worldwide peace treaty with the nation of Israel for seven years, will at the midway point of that seven years break that peace treaty and seek for the extermination of the Jews. He will try to do, please, I hope you will, if you don't amen anything else, I hope you amen this. You know that Satan hates the Jewish nation. And so this Antichrist will try to do what Hitler and Stalin and others have failed to do, which is to totally eradicate the Jewish nation. He will lash out, try to completely to destroy the Jews. But he won't stop there. He will also, not only will it attack the people of God, the Jewish nation, Daniel 8, please, verse 25. We're nearly done tonight. I told you we're wading in deep waters. Daniel 8, 25. And through his policy, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. So he tries unsuccessfully to eradicate the Jews. At the same time, He's standing up against the prince of princes. I think you know who that is, the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll make every effort to stamp out the name of Jesus. Now, you don't have to turn. We're going to talk about this later. All of this seems horrible, and don't misunderstand me. It is. It is horrible. But you also need to know that at the same time, the name of God, the worship of His Son is simultaneously being proclaimed. Turn later, you can read about it, but in Revelation 14, we'll study it later, it talks about the at least 144,000 who go throughout the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. You listen to me and listen to me well. Revelation 14 is very clear. Antichrist will have no power to stop the name of Jesus from being spread. So finally tonight, this is where we get into our most desecrating moment. He not only attacks the people of God, the prince of God, but he will attack the place of God. We're going to look at several verses, and we'll pack up for the evening until we start unpacking next week. Daniel 8, please, verse 25. One more time. Through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, shall magnify himself in his heart, by peace shall destroy many, stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. Flip to 9.27. This is another verse that confirms, I believe, the breaking of this treaty and what he does that is so horribly horrific. He shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. In the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Second Thessalonians, please. Chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 2. Quickly, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that 
man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So let me kind of put all of this into a little package if I can and we'll be done tonight I entitled Sunday morning's message at the sound of the trumpet when the trumpet sounds I believe the scripture teaches us that the church will be raptured out of here called out chaos reigns supreme across the world the world will be ripe for leadership and of course that will happen throughout the world but in the midst of this, one individual will escalate in popularity and will take a place of worldwide prominence and bring a peace, if you will, and calm the nerves of the world. Without a doubt, the nation of Israel will be deeply involved in this, and one of the first things that the Antichrist will do is to set up a peace treaty with the nation of Israel, a promised seven-year covenant. He will allow the nation of Israel to resume temple worship. Let me stop a moment and say, with the religions that currently occupy Jerusalem, that in of itself will be miraculous, that the temple worship system will once again be reinstituted. At the end of the first three and a half years, the Antichrist will break that treaty and will walk into the Holy of Holies and sit himself down on the mercy seat and demand that he be worshipped as the God of this world. Now, I would be remiss if I did not tell you this very quickly because you... When you begin to study biblical prophecy, you read about this name a lot. He's not in your Bible, but you need to know this. Between the end of your Old Testament and the beginning of your New Testament is a gap of 400 years. It is referred to as the intra-testament period. It's the reason why at the end of the Old Testament, you've got the Babylonian and the Persian Empire ruling and reigning. And then when the New Testament opens, you've got the Roman Empire. Well, during that 400 years, you also have the rise of the Grecian Empire as well. During that intra-testament period, there was a rise, if you will, or an arrival of a man from Syria by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. This is easily researched in history. He came to the throne in 175 B.C. and lasted for about 12 years. He was anti-Semitic to the very bone and murdered over 40,000 Jews in three days. It is believed on September the 6th, 171 B.C., that he dedicated his evil actions towards the temple. And on December the 15th, 168 B.C., Antiochus Epiphanes reached his ultimate low. On that day, he sacrificed a giant pig on the altar of the Jewish temple, something that you know is clearly forbidden in Scripture. He then forced the Jewish priests to swallow the flesh of the pig, which, of course, as you know, though we like ham and bacon, it's forbidden by God for the Jews, made a broth of it, of, of the sow's blood, to be honest with you, all completely historically documented, and sprinkled that blood upon the temple, desecrating God's room. He carried out the golden candlesticks, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and destroyed the books of the law. And in the center of the Holy of Holies, on the mercy seat, he placed a statue to the god Jupiter. Jews referred to that as the abomination 
of desolation. And in fact, Genesis, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, we read about, and John 10, 22, we read about the Feast of Dedication, which is a feast that was created in honor of the day that Antiochus Epiphanes was destroyed. Why do I bring you all of that? Because there's a lot of Bible scholars who will say all the things that I just read about in Daniel were pointing to Antiochus Epiphanes. And I want you to listen to me. I believe they were. You understand that Second Peter makes this plain. The spirit of Antichrist has always been. Since Jesus existed, and even before the time of Christ, there's been an attempt to destroy Christ. So I say that all to you to understand this simple fact tonight. When Daniel looked at these things, I believe he saw Antiochus Epiphanes, perhaps, I believe what he also saw is how this would be extremely carried out to, on steroids, if you will, to the time of Antichrist. And I'll conclude tonight, ask you to, I know I told you we're done, I promise you, Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, I'll read it to you if you've already closed your Bibles. It simply says, when Daniel saw these things, he fainted. He fainted. What does that mean, preacher? It means it was bad. It means it was bad. Whenever I talk about prophecy and end times stuff, people always will say, preacher, this is fascinating. Or they'll say, preacher, what does this matter to us if we're gone? I want you to listen to me real carefully, and I promise I'm done. <clears throat> I had to go to a quick doctor's visit today after my meeting doctor I'd never seen before, take care of a little issue. And if he had walked in and he had said to me, you know, I'm a doctor, but I haven't read a medical book in 25 years, I would have probably got up and walked out. And if he had looked at me and said, I'm a doctor, but I only know about the first two chapters of that 45-chapter medical book, I would have walked out. You see, folks, when we proclaim the name of Christ, we don't just need to know the things that we like out of the book. We need to understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. Things we enjoy, and even some things that we don't enjoy. And you know, one of the things that I've discovered is oftentimes lost people know this book far better than believers do. God help us. Next week, we're going to be talking about the tribulation period, what happens during those seven years, what these symbols mean in Revelation, the trumpets and the seals, what all of that's talking about. So let's stand to our feet tonight. As always, we invite you on a Wednesday night if you'd like to come join us here at the altar as we have a family altar prayer. And I'm going to suggest that we all pray for our country tonight. It was heartening to see Democrats and Republicans joining hands in our nation's capital today, praying for our country, and what a tragedy it is that it takes a tragedy for that to happen. So let's pray together tonight for our nation. And Jesus, we come to you this evening thanking you for a few moments to study.